0: Spooky friends, and welcome to the Twisted Twins, hosted by Britt and Kay. And on tonight's episode, we are taking y'all back to one of our hometowns, which oddly enough has a lot of creepy shit (laughs) going down and a lot of history, which like we were talking about when we were doing research, Kayla and I. We were both like this kind of gives us like a little bit more um
1: i don't know like we're a little bit more proud yeah yeah yeah. and not that like we didn't know the history when we lived there because there's some key points that everyone knows about Uh this place but um things that we didn't know and how in-depth it gets it's pretty cool oh yeah like okay so We're
0: talking about St. Joseph, Missouri, and now we're going to split this episode into two parts. Our first part is going to cover some pretty dark, scary things, and our second part is going to cover still some dark and scary things, a little bit of true crime, more haunted, ghosty locations. Um... But, yeah, no, Kayla and I have been trying to film this episode. I'm not kidding. It's, like, literally all week when we go to, like, get ready to film. Even doing our notes, Mm -hmm. I was having issues. And um, Even
1: tonight, it's been almost two hours that we've been trying to, like, we've been ready to, like, sit down and then something happens. And it's, uh it's, it's. putting a stop. And if you guys have listened to us for a while, you know that this has happened before where our episodes get interrupted. um, And we always make a point to say, okay, they either don't want us to talk about something or they are ready for us to talk about it or whatever it is, but it's just a little freaky. And you may hear some thunder because um, I've got a massive... (laughs) thunderstorm happening right next to me. So no. <laughs> beautiful to set the mood. I yeah. know it was so bad. I literally
0: have my lighter, my palo santo to like clear my space. But this little sucker would not light. Like I'm not kidding. Let me just have this. I literally was sitting my lighter, do do doing the whole thing and it it wasn't lighting. And I was like, okay, got some selenite around, set a prayer. Just it's been um heavier topic but anyway let's go ahead and dive right into it my bang is getting in my eyeball all right so st joseph Missouri Mm -hmm. pretty interesting place
1: um it was known as Kayla where the West began and Jesse James ended oh (laughs) yeah (laughs) and it's (laughs) (laughs) wow um, what makes, well, what made, and I guess technically still makes St. Joseph, um, but back in, you know, the olden days, what made St. Joseph such a lucrative and, you know, fancy place to be was that it was surrounded by water. And being right off of the Missouri River, they, like, so much uh, movement. Mm-hmm. Happened. Yep. And literally, okay. like, um, if we want to get into it,
0: when the United States was still a baby, um, really like the uh, Western expansion, Oregon Trail, if you will, began in St. Joseph. So many travelers, many, you know, pioneers, Lewis and Clark, went through St. Joe on their way to the Western more western side of the United States, which is pretty incredible. The Pony Express began in St. Joseph. I know we've mentioned this before in previous episodes about um, our hometown, but the Pony Express basically is United States mail. So it began there. A lot of other random companies began there. Mm -hmm. Crackers what was that crazy fact about crackers?
1: Yeah, during, so during the gold rush, that rush to get to California and get all that, again, you're passing St. Joseph, Missouri, which at the time was like a bustling town and like Mm -hmm. a place to pass through. You're right in almost smack dab in the middle of the country. So all these people are passing through and, this guy creates crackers. Now, so our mom teaches history, so we always try to get as much facts as we can when we do something that's so historical like this. And yeah. she came to us with this fact, <laughs> created a way to make crackers so that the people that were traveling had something to eat that wouldn't go yeah. bad. that's crazy. <laughs> so a lot yeah. of weird things happened. Um, mead paper products like
0: literally my notebooks that i do are that i've used for years and years started in st joseph missouri um jesse james ended there (laughs) that's such a corny uh, catchphrase um but yeah so this town and it it was going to be like the big city of missouri but you know what is it probably like 50, 100 years ago, the um, mayor of St. Joseph actually was like, no, no, no. Let's reel it back because it was a very, like, high society city. Um, Let's reel it back. We want it to be more of, like, a rural area, um, more of, like, a suburb, not a city. So then Kansas City, Missouri, took over that kind of, like, hustle and bustle urban lifestyle that St. Joe was like, on the up and up to achieve. Um, But it's crazy, because we're like doing research on our hometown, which when we lived there, was, um, was quiet. It had a lot of historic like homes, museums,
1: it's home to 14 different museums in just one town. Yeah. So and It's like, if you think about it and you think about how small St. Joseph really is, it is a little, like, bigger than a tiny little one-strip town. But when you really think about it, when you've lived there, you're like, man, St. Joe is such a small town. And for one town to have 14 museums, I mean, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, and they're, like, in-depth crazy. Yeah, I have a list of some of them. We've got the Glore Psychiatric Museum. We've got uh, the Doll Museum, the Black Archives Museum, the History Galleries, Native American Galleries, the Um Toodle Mansion, the Patty House, the Rubidou, um Rubidoux Row House Museum, whatever it is. It's uh that's a lot of museums to have And in- the Pony in- Express the- Museum, Jesse yeah. James. Yeah, Jesse like, James House. Well yeah, where- there's
0: uh uh-huh. there's all sorts, and it's pretty It kind of made me step back because even, um, gosh, like in, you know, like the early 1900s, there was a huge water park that was um, open in Seijo where like celebrities and politicians would go and like vacation. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, why the fuck are you going here, like out of all the places. But I mean, maybe that's a little insulting, but I was like, what the heck? It was a very high society, you know, town. It, it just kind of blew my mind a bit.
1: Yeah, it is pretty crazy. And, um, some statistics that I was seeing while I was doing my research because yes, we lived there, but some of the stuff that we're going to talk about and, you know, we needed to do some pretty extensive research and we got so into it. That's why this is going to be two parts, you know? Yeah. And probably further on from that, but just to start with two parts. Um, But while I was doing my research, I saw that nowadays, so it's very different now than it was when it was first established as this like, the place to be, you know, one of the places to be. Um, But now, statistically, I mean, crime is up like crazy. And um, I'm going to have to figure out what it was. It was, like, there was percentages about um, how many people are there versus how many um, shootings happen every week. And it's just crazy, again, to think of how dangerous... um, st joe is becoming but also like every small town across america is just being riddled with crime and drugs and really yeah. walking away anything beautiful and historic about the town itself mm-hmm.
0: is- yep yeah, because st joseph was literally the trail west you know yeah. it was that that first stop onto the trail west and it it's it's sad let me turn <laughs> off my notifications hold on my phone just vibrated Mark, Mark, where's my thingy? Can you hear the thunder? No. It's so loud.
1: Okay, do not disturb us on. Alrighty. righty. Okay. Um yeah, and a couple other fun facts, we have some famous people from St. Joseph. Oh, oh. Oh. Probably the most famous celebrity from St. Joseph to our generation is Marshall Motherfucking Mathers, Emma hey, N- yo, yep, new Slim Shady, Saint Joseph, the real Slim Shady. Until about the age of eleven, and then he moved to Detroit. Um, according to you know Google or whatever. Um, interestingly enough, to people that are our age that were Disney kids, another famous person is from Saint Joseph. And it's the freaking bad leprechaun from The Luck of the Irish. I know he's in a lot of other stuff, but that was one that I was like, huh? My
0: <laughs> so, my hometown topic is about the uh, Missouri's second state mental hospital and a very Creepy museum. So the psych hospital's buildings themselves have been home to, first and foremost, the state's second mental asylum, a correctional facility, a behavioral management school, and now is home to several historical museums like we had talked about like 10 minutes ago. Now <laughs> I mentioned that this place gave me the creeps when I was growing up because literally we would drive past this building, I would say like once a week minimum. Um <laughs> imagine just going down the street where it is very beautiful, luscious green when we were growing up in St. Joseph. Um so you're like driving down this street with beautiful, you know homes and trees and oh gorgeous and you look over on your right hand side and you see a really tall looming brick building that's massive massive building um it always gave me an eerie feeling I was always kind of like creeped out by it it seemed really cold just like the feeling I got from it was like
1: oh you know that kind of thing if I looked at the windows, because sometimes when you drove by at night and, like, the windows were lit from the inside, it would it was like people were standing in the windows, like, staring at us. Yuck. Let me, let me paint a picture, like, you know, little girls just driving with their mom to go get dinner or go to food for less. And you look out the window at a stoplight and you just, like, get hit with, like, oh, God, I shouldn't have looked over there. And, like,
0: definitely you know, our
1: parents raised us going, you know that place over there, you know what has happened over there. You know what's happening? Yeah. That didn't happen. It's just like the energy. Yeah, I had
0: I had no idea what it was until I was much, much older, like preteen, teenage years. Um, so now on to the hospital's history. <clears throat> Buckle up <laughs> for safety. In November of 1874, the State Lunatic Hospital Number Two, like I said, it was the second one in the state of Missouri, officially opened its doors in Saint Joseph, Missouri. A little redundant, but bleh. <laughs> in 1903, they actually changed their name. They dropped the lunatic because Thank
1: that's God. I know, isn't that hurtful? So insulting.
0: Yes, to State Hospital Number Two. And then in 1952, they changed it to St. Joseph's State Hospital. Now, the Lunatic Hospital, which <laughs> there I go, calling it the Lunatic. <laughs> Yikes. The Lunatic Hospital was designed with the Kirkbride theory. I'll explain. So basically, three to four floors to each building with large windows and solid brick walls. And it was believed with this, you know, Kirkbride's theory was that it helped ground the patient's mind. Um, It was also encouraged to have a beautiful centerpiece within the main building or admitting site, um, like a large welcoming staircase with either skylights or a clock tower, some sort of like beautiful, quote unquote, centerpiece. Um, Now this particular hospital was designed with skylights and they had a massive like grand staircase um, in the admitting main floor uh, entrance. Now within the hospital's 110 acres the state hospital number two had a fully operating farm with animals and crops. They were literally like nearly self-sustaining as far as, you know, being able to feed all of their patients and staff. Like it's rumored that the only thing that they had to purchase outside of the hospital was salt, which I'm like, gosh, like y'all were killing it. (laughs) But um, so this was also a part of Kirkbride's theory of design. And it allowed, the thought was to allow patients to hold similar jobs and tasks that they would have had outside of treatment and that it would do well for their mind. Some examples of this, of crops that they actually had on site were tobacco, grain, fruit and vegetable crops and some of the animals that they had on site were hogs, mules and chicken for their livestock. Now upon opening, Nearly all 275 beds were claimed. Very quickly, rapid growth in patients and staff just made the hospital grow and grow. Um, One of the original physicians claimed his goal for patient treatment was, quote, the noble work of reviving hope in the human heart dispelling the portentous clouds that envelop and penetrate the intellects of minds diseased. Now, that was a quote from the superintendent, the first superintendent, Dr. George C. Catlett. Now, by 1880, after recovering from a structural fire, the state hospital number two expanded Additional wards and buildings were constructed and added on to the blueprint of the hospital itself. Now, the front wards were divided between genders, both male and female. These were (laughs) words, (laughs) these wards housed the quote, sorry, the front wards housed the, quote, well-behaved patients. Now the wards towards the back of the facility housed, quote, the out-of-control criminal patients. Excuse me. Each ward was under the strict iron fist rule rule of nurses and staff. Remember that little nugget, okay? want to... Every day, all occupants and staff engaged in outdoor time. It was, like, very much a part of their curriculum. Whatever your treatment was, you would get outdoor, well, depending, actually. You would have outdoor time, and you would literally walk about the grounds. And they have photos of this, which is, like, crazy, because it's, like, a long line of people, and it gives me the chills. Anyway, so they would take... Daily walks about the grounds, literally everybody, and even had an extensive outdoor area with large swings and fun activities for the patients to participate in. Oddly enough, during the outdoor walks, the hospital never lost a patient by them running off or escaping. Like, missed opportunity there, guys. Big time. (sighs) Uh, So, doesn't seem like a terrible place to reside, right?
1: Right? Like I want to say like no, it sounds like they had all the best intentions, but because whoops, my bad. But because I know the vibe of it. I know. I, know. <laughs> I just know. I it. know. So,
0: any anyways, um the lunatic number 2 hospital was home to men, women, and children alike. Funny enough, guess which category made up the majority of patients.
1: Anyone? Anyone? Hey, pick me, pick me. Could it be women? <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> Us bad shit crazy ladies. Yeah, every single mental hospital is flooded with women because... They just didn't want to empty the, you know, I was going to say, empty the dishwasher. <laughs> you know, 1870s didn't want to <laughs> enter that goddamn dishwasher, man. What are you going to
0: say? Yeah. Um, so let's dive into the excuses people used for admitting someone to the state lunatic hospital number two, shall we? Let's dive in. Yeah. So. First and foremost, most, (laughs) hysteria, weepiness, anxiety, depression, um, ailments to the female mind, like postpartum depression, uh, substance abuse, whether it be like a, a drug or alcohol, criminally insane, psychosis, illness, either temporary or terminal, like tuberculosis or syphilis, um, laziness, annoying the family you belong to, disappointing your family, and, quote, different individuals. <laughs> Many patients. <laughs> 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 All right, well, <laughs> many patients care was taken over by the state hospital because the price of care for a particular family was too much um, for them to handle. Now, like we talked about, we boasted up St. Joe for being like a high societal place. Many high society families dumped a lot of their unwanted or disabled family members here which is just disgusting in my opinion. Um, Now this was pretty interesting. Uh, During my research, I found a bunch, like loads of sites with tons of information. But one of my favorite ones was the actual Glore Museum, which we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, They had kind of like a historical Zoom presentation about the history of the hospital and the museum itself. Um, and they had mentioned this, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, another way to kind of categorize someone or admit someone was this theory called phrenology. So this was a common attribute in early psychology. Basically, it is the belief that you could look at somebody and know right away if they were mentally competent just by their physical features. Apparently, if you had animalistic features, you had animalistic behavior. Phrenology also claimed to be able to identify marital choices based on physical appearance. Like literally, oh, they kind of look like a dog. They're a dog
1: couple, you know doggy dog world out here
0: (laughs) excuse me it's just crazy like how how can you judge somebody off their physical appearance by saying you know what they kind of have like a i don't know a crazy look about them they must be very animalistic and mentally unstable like just well
1: you know like i i mean i even still now have pretty big cheeks but as a kid i had like like hamster cheeks,
0: <laughs>
1: Would I've been thrown in there. Could have been. I mean, Could have been. That's a scary feeling.
0: I know. It's a scary thought that that's actually something that you know they took into consideration.
1: Look at like, yeah, it, especially when my only comparison is like Hitler. <laughs> I know. So when know. You, yeah, when you start thinking about judging people for their like that harshly. I know. Them up. It's crazy. It's, so it's crazy. Mm.
0: So regardless of diagnosis or clearance, if you will, all patients mingled during their daily treatments, therapies, and chores. So even if you were like in the quote well-behaved area, you would still be around, you know, it would be a co-mingling situation, um, which is kind of gnarly. To me
1: yeah but, well it's because okay. I mean the reason I I'm shaking my head and I feel like it's extra gnarly is because of other um psych hospitals that we've researched or you know ghost adventured at and um when you have the commingling of different levels of psychiatric need you get a lot of abuse whether that's oh big time physical just physical abuse Verbal abuse, like, absolutely traumatizing if you are more on that, like, high-functioning, don't need to be there because you got put in there because you were lazy, or, you know, and you start seeing the worse off. And um, a lot of rape. Oh, big time. Big time. Not just with patient on patient. Uh Uh-uh. Nope. Now, of course, this hospital has not disclosed
0: any cases of that which you know i'm sure there's none yeah right um so like we briefly discussed saint joseph was a full-blown high society city a place of many incredible inventions notable people celebrity and politicians do you think those types of people that level of society would love To witness the spectacle of admitting
1: patients. In broad daylight, no less. Don't give anyone that kind of respect.
0: Yeah. No, no, my friends. Beneath the hospital, the grounds of the hospital, lies a series of tunnels. Now, some tunnels lead straight to the Missouri River downtown. Rumor has it patients would be taken from the river to the hospital through this tunnel system to control the spectacle of it all and could you imagine like if you were having a mental breakdown and you get taken you know across the river in a fucking boat and then somebody straps you down to a gurney and they wheel you underground for like couple of miles to the fucking like absolutely not yeah no nightmare fuel nightmare fucking fuel excuse me so at the top i explained how the hospital site was also home to a behavioral management school funny enough our mama worked at the behavioral management school for elementary level students (laughs) back in the early 2000s. Um, and when I would, you know, get out of school, have a dentist appointment, something like that, um, or just straight up ditch school, like, <laughs> I'm sick. My mom would sometimes have us come back to her classroom and kind of wait for her school day to end. Um, that was just kind of like a common thing that we did back then. Uh, Yeah,
1: let me just say, I went there a lot um, with mom. Like, you know, she'd pick me up early and I'd have to go kick it for a few hours there. And honestly, it's like the vibe you get when you watch The Sixth Sense and he's at school. And he's just walking down the hallway and he looks at the stairs and sees like the dead chick. I think it's a dead teacher or something, right? It's like
0: uh, the in that movie, their school used to be like a courthouse, and they, they saw he saw like a line of executed yeah conflict, people
1: being hung. Yeah, and um, yeah. and that's how it feels like that feeling you get when you watch that part of the movie is how you feel felt frail <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> it's just like mm-hmm. scary and creepy and like. Then the kids are acting up and the teachers are like trying to control them. And
0: yeah, it's a yes. lot. It was literally like the creepiest place to have to sit and wait for your mom to, you know, finish out her school day. Now, a couple of the classrooms actually were still lined um, on their walls with padded cushion, like from fucking. Solitary confinement type, you know, padding, which is just uh, creepy, not a lot of renovation or reinvention of these particular classrooms occurred, I would say. Um, Not only did it have low lighting, but it also had a heaviness to it that I recognized when I was like about 12, 13 or so. Um, We took a little detour my mom and I because uh, when you go into the actual when it was open because it's since been closed um, you would take an elevator down to where the actual behavioral school was and it's somewhere around there my, my my memory is foggy the entrance to the tunnel system is like right off that elevator area so my mom is like Oh, before we leave, I have to show you this. I'm like 13, 14 at this point.
1: Or mom, like, <laughs> why are we the way that we are? Mom! Exactly. It's- mom, it's your fault! Just kidding.
0: Love you. Um. So we went. She took me into the underground tunnels, which, like, let me just fucking tell you, I, like, literally could not take more than, like, a couple of steps Like, not even a couple of feet into those tunnels before I was like, all right, we need to go. Like, I already do not like underground places like that. Like, yuck. Um, But the vibes and just the heaviness, not even just, like, we're underground right now, but just, you could just feel something weird.
1: You feel, like, that helplessness, that anxiety, that just
0: heartbreak. Yeah, that something is at the end of that tunnel where the dark, like, where the light doesn't reach that's watching you. It's just kind of just absolute, like, no for me, dog, not my place that I ever wanted to walk down again. Yeah. Um. Now, remember the noble work that the hospital boasted about? All of their kind of, like, I would say, like, progressive thinking, like, a brick building will ground their mind. You know, that seems like a little bit more like progressive to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Especially when it comes to like for mental health care.
1: Huh?
0: For the time. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. In my mind. Yeah. Now the only grace I can offer the hospital um, with what I'm about to discuss for the barbaric and medieval ways of treatment was that it was literally the early stages of modern psychology and mental health study. Um, it was really like the infancy of it at that time. So trigger warning for this next part, um, definitely skip ahead if you're uncomfortable with any sort of you know, like medieval barbaric mental health treatments mm-hmm. and descriptions.
1: Or do I skip? <laughs> you can't
0: listen,
1: listen.
0: Okay. Now the first thing I'm going to discuss, um, the father of psychology, Dr. Benjamin Rush actually crafted this therapeutic chair in the 1800s. And it was known as the restraining chair or the tranquilizer chair. It has several different names, but those were the two that kind of came up the most. And when I saw the Gore Museum dock on it, they called it the restraining chair. So I'm going with that. So imagine in your head, um, Kayla will pop up a picture because I have a beautiful, lovely picture of this evil chair. Um, A sturdy wooden chair complete with leather restraints across your chest and... On the arms of the chair for each wrist, along with iron ankle um, restraints, all under lock and key, might I add. (sighs) Next, adorning this wonderful chair situation was a wooden box that literally adorned the head of the patient. Now the box went over their head and rested on their shoulders. And literally, it was like complete darkness in this box. Um, And... The chair's seat, the actual spot that you sat on, had a crude hole cut into the center. And underneath that hole laid a removable chamber pot. So this treatment was long-term. Six months was the typical requirement to be stuck in this chair. The doctors and staff would often throw ice-cold water over the patient's head for relaxation. Relaxation, everybody. Relaxation. And the whole reason to have the... Oh, shoot, my laptop is shutting down the whole reason to have the box over their head was so they couldn't see it coming they couldn't witness like what kind of what was coming while they're you know stuck in the seat it was all about the shock value the surprise the throwing them off their guard all of that sort of things to be a therapeutic treatment
1: leave the box on their head for six months or would they keep them just in the chair with the box off unless they were doing the torture they would keep them in
0: darkness so yeah so next up is the Utica crib now deep breaths everyone who is claustrophobic deep breaths if you say like three patients were disruptive, or getting into altercations together against each other, or with staff members, or just being loud in general, staff would literally cage them inside the Utica crib. Now, imagine a small coffin-sized crib that laid on the floor like a bed, but the bars but bars had lined every side, like the front, the head and foot area all around, just like metal iron bars with a lid that locked on top. Now I said small coffin size because it's literally that fucking small and they would stuff up to three patients in there at a time. Um, Now the Utica crib, at this hospital like i said fit up to three people a larger version of this back in new york for instance um where they originated from held up to six victims i mean patients um, at a time now patients would be locked in the crib for about seven days at a time and they were and i quote quiet and out of the way during this which i'm like there's no fucking way I would be stuck in a little box. Oftentimes, patients would have to be in the fetal position. And not only are they in the fetal position, they're like, you know, passing all of their bodily functions in the area. You're literally laying on top of hay, like, okay, I've got my selenite right here because I'm like, <laughs> okay, so. Next, yeah. Next up is what they called the bath of surprise. Now, patients were literally strapped to a portable gurney-like board or like a backboard for that you would see someone with like a back injury that EMS, lifeguard, some sort of rescue person would attach them to. Imagine a backboard, okay? Now, this backboard is attached to... Like a levy system that lowered the patient into a freezing or scalding bath. Now patients, (laughs) yeah, patients literally, (laughs) sorry, patients regularly went into shock and some even died by the quote surprise of it all. Yeah now
1: i'll never get over how trash humans are i know
0: i know and they thought like oh we're helping people you know we're curing I mean, them no,
1: no fucking way that any of them thought that any of that stuff was helping anyone because if they thought it was so helpful they'd be signing up for this you know what oh, yeah. i oh yeah well to be normal did you have to get dunked in an ice cold bath and then a hot bath. Yeah, That with a box on your head for six months so that just you were. Wait.
0: I'm only about halfway through the.
1: Oh, it makes me like
0: so mad. I know it makes me mad. It makes me just have a lot of feelings. It's just like anger and like wanting to like outcry for these people who experienced this, but that was the. I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. Now we just talked about the Bath of Surprise. Now we're going to talk about the shock tub. Now it was a lot like the Bath of Surprise. Um, This tub basically was a round pool almost um, with like a built structure on top that you would like climb up to the top and stand in the middle where a trapdoor was. Now, the patient would be standing there, you know, either blindfolded or just, you know, able to look around. But the staff members would control the trap door. So the whole shock of it all was the the door falling out from under you and you falling down into this tub of ice water. Now, oftentimes, injury, injury would occur. Either from the fall, it's, like, falling through itself, or from the landing. Like, people would break their legs. They would, like, injure their and break their chin or their jaw, hit their chest. Like, all sorts of fucking crazy shit. Because not only is this tub, like, there's a drop. Your full body weight dropping into this tub. This tub, I'm not even kidding you, is, like, three feet tall. Four feet, maybe, give or take. So, the shock tub. Next, we're going to talk about the lunatic box. Think, picture in your mind's eye, an upright coffin, or kind of like a small outhouse shape, or Miss Trunchbull's choky size situation where quote, an out-of-control patient was locked inside until the staff was convinced that they were calm. They were convinced that they were calm by this point. Often standing in their own excrements for long periods of time in pure darkness. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So finally, The last really big thing I'm going to talk about is called the giant treadmill or what I like to call it the hamster wheel. Now, imagine we've all seen a hamster wheel, right? Circular thing that spins and spins as the hamster runs on it, right? Imagine one of those, but it's like the size, like human shape, not human shape, human size. So this big wheel is all boarded up to where there's no air holes, no windows, no nothing. Now on the bottom of this wheel is a little small door that they would unlock. And and the patient would willingly crawl in there because they're like, oh yeah. And they push those fuckers in there and lock the door. Drama. Sorry. Now, um... (laughs) Once the patient was locked inside, either the wheel would spin with their own kind of like tenacity and their own speed, or some of these wonderful treadmill wheels had a cranking system on the outside where the staff literally controlled the speed at which the patient was moving. Now, this particular treatment was a way to help exhaust excitable patients. So say you, you just were very hyperactive, potentially ADHD or you know, just manic, having a manic episode, they would stick you in there to exhaust you, have you work out that excitable behavior, if you will. Now, all of these devices, all of these treatments, that I've mentioned and briefly discussed, explained, um, are currently on display at the Glor Museum, either an original or a replica. Now I'm gonna dive into what exactly the Glor Museum is shortly, very, very shortly, Um, but not before I give you guys a quick rundown of the other treatments that the hospital partook in partake partook that what they did okay <laughs> with these patients now first and foremost restraints um, think like a straitjacket bed restraints things like that um, this hospital specifically was huge what was that lightning That just sets this vibe. Not only am I, like, (laughs) angry for these patients who had to go through this, but it also creeps me out.
1: I literally felt, like, the energy from that through my feet. Holy shit, that was wild. It shook the room. I'm going to be surprised if the kids sleep through that. Because normally they come in here when it gets that loud. That was fucking wild. (laughs) It's so (laughs) fucking Perfect, perfect uh,
0: background mood for this topic. I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> now, a very quick rundown of the other treatments. straitjackets, jackets, bed restraints. Rock- oh, this hospital is huge for rocking chair therapy. <laughs> Just imagine. Rocking chairs. You're in a rocking chair restrained for 24 like literally 24 hours a day you're just rocking in this rocking chair peeing and pooping wherever you are you know just rocking away what they would literally do with these patients they would remove them from the walk the rocking chair and hose them down and then put them back who's the animal here yeah exactly right phrenology or whatever um They participated in hydrotherapy. Obviously, I mean, that's common. Um, Fever tank therapy, which is kind of like, you know, in Halloween Town, when they're collecting, like, all those miscellaneous items, and the ghost is in, like, that sauna tank thing, and they Uh collect his sweat? Think, like, that contraption, but they did it in a way that would spike, like, high levels high body temperatures and like feverish thinking that it would like burn away syphilis. Okay, okay, Jan. Um, They also participated in with electroshock therapy, transorbital and prefrontal lobotomies. And literally the list goes on and on and on for what they did to these patients. Um, Thankfully, by 1950, the hospital, oh, wait, back up. By 1950, the hospital housed over 3,000 patients in total. In 1952, Missouri outlawed the use of lobotomies on patients, thankfully. I was getting ahead of myself because lobotomies freak me the fuck out. Um, They realized that it was, quote, barbaric and unhelpful.
1: How about
0: that? It was unhelpful. Mm. Now, on the hospital's grounds lies the final resting place for 2,000 or more of the patients here from, like, start to finish. Because this hospital is no longer open. It was moved during the time that it was open, which was like around a hundred years, 2000 or more patients were buried on the property. Now, over the years, many gravestones were lost lost or pushed back, especially when the Department of Corrections bought part of the land. They literally were like, "Scoot over little stones, get out of my way, get out of here. <laughs> Um, Unfortunately, the hospital did not keep adequate records of their patients grave sites. They would literally like have like a flat stone in the ground. So it's not like a headstone situation, tombstone situation, flat stoned, easily moved out of the way. Now, luckily enough, St. Joseph has a present day memorial marking, you know, all of the patients who had passed away at this hospital. Because oftentimes when you were admitted to this hospital, you were not leaving. You know, more often than not, you were not leaving. So it's very heartbreaking. Now, they say the number is around 2,000 um, patients who are buried there, but they're like, it, it could easily be higher than that. Um, just really sad. So. Now on to the Glore Museum. So now on to the Glore Museum. It is listed on America's top 50 oddest museums. The Glore Museum. George Glore, the founder, had over 41 years experience in Missouri's Department of Mental Health. His main mission began in 1968 when he started collecting original artifacts as well as contracting people to craft replicas for displays, um, as well as patient stories to form this harrowing museum. His goal was to break the stigma on mental illness, spread awareness and recognize the incredible growth in the mental health field. George Glore is known as the best collector of psychiatric treatment and mental health care items to date. Now, I thought it was really cool how he his whole mission was to recognize the growth because back even you know like a 100 and what is it? like 130, 140 years ago, we were doing some some very like hands-on harmful treatments and nowadays it's much less. So, yes, it's a little bit less um, aggressive and hands-on and harmful. It's a lot more, I'm trying to think of the word. Anyway. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It'll come back to her. (laughs) Versus getting strapped into the tranquilizer chair for six months or testing out a new antidepressant like very different methods and definitely beautiful growth, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. So a few of his popular displays outside of the various treatments that I talked about before, um, is one, I'm going to talk about this one first, 1,446 items. Now, a woman in 1910 swallowed 1,446 items. She was diagnosed with OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder. And after complaining of severe stomach pain, she was taken swiftly into surgery. She had swallowed, like I said, 1,446 household items, which included buttons, nails, thimbles, salt shaker lids, safety pins, jewelry, rocks, and spoon handles, and lived. Now, I sent Kayla a picture. She's gonna pop it on the screen. There is a very (laughs) kind of, I would say beautiful, display of it, all of those items, at the Glore Museum. Now, next display I'm going to discuss was, again, kind of a beautiful, in my opinion, thing. Now, a mute patient, mute by choice and trauma, let her thoughts, feelings, favorite song lyrics, memories, literally... Anything she wanted to let out of herself, she embroidered them on blankets and material provided by the hospital. Hospital. (laughs) When she would fill up the material, the hospital threw them away, um, unfortunately. That is until Galore managed to rescue some of her works of art, memory and pain, and displayed them at his museum. Which I thought that was really cool. Again, picture's going to pop up. You're going to see what it looked like. You could sit there for hours and, like, trying to read because it's not, like, a perfect line or anything like that. It's just very interesting. Now, um, another little interesting tidbit. I'm going to move into, like, the facts side of the Glora Museum. Uh, This actual, actually, the state hospital. Now, like we've said a couple times, Jesse James died in St. Joseph, put an end to his life. Bad, bad man that he was um, to most people. Um, So before his family could retrieve his body, now the psychiatric hospital actually had a morgue inside of it. obviously. Obviously, yes. And that is actually on display at the Glore Museum as well. Anyway, so they had his body over at the hospital before his, you know, awaiting his family to retrieve it and bury him and all that jazz. It didn't stop the doctors from performing an autopsy and removing his brain. Oddly enough, they didn't get the family's permission to do this. And at the time, it would have been horrifying So, they quickly, like, basically patched him all up so it wouldn't be obvious that he was, you know, that they had literally extracted his brain to experiment on. It wasn't until later on, at the actual funeral home, when they were, like, prepping him, that they realized his brain was missing.
1: Oh, my God. And his
0: brain has never been found.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Kind of mysterious. I'm not surprised though, at all. Um, All in the name of science, right? So another interesting fact, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, the motion picture film, was almost filmed at this hospital. The doctor the movie is loosely based on actually worked at the state hospital number two and wanted to film there Um, For one reason or another, and his name is Dr. Dean Brooks, they actually filmed it at his own hospital in Oregon. It was the final filming location for the unnerving and honestly a little bit accurate uh, movie. And how I talked about like at the top um, about how the nurses and the staff would roll with like an iron fist, Think of that nurse from that movie, enough said. Now this museum is currently open to the public. They offer loads of information and visual artifacts showcasing the early stages of mental health studies and treatments, as well as offering overnight ghost tours and investigations throughout the year. Now. The next event is actually on August 23rd, and tickets are available at (laughs) bumpinthenight.net. So, on on to the ghost stories, because you know this motherfucking place is haunted. You know it. So, a few of the things that I found, um, I actually had one I'm going to discuss So one patient in the 70s actually claimed that she interacted with the supernatural. And while she was at the hospital for her treatment, she created lots of artwork, wrote songs and poems about the interactions that she had, the paranormal activity that she experienced while she was there. Oh, I'm sorry. I spoke out of term. 1967. Not 70s. 67. Close, but no cigar. Anyway. So that's kind of like an interesting little tidbit that I've I've found Um, onto the ghost stories. Many paranormal experiences are to be had when visiting the Glore Museum and the old site of the Lunatic Hospital, like full body apparitions, specifically in the morgue and tunnels, many disembodied voices and whispers, screams and yells of get out or hurry you need to go especially near the elevators now there is like a tale I saw on a couple different sites where um when you're like on the bottom level where the tunnels are you're like going towards the elevator there's often like several sightings of a man saying hurry you need to go you need to get out and it's like what are you warning us about you know, yeah. is this, uh, you know, residual? What is this about? Um, now, electrical instances also occur very regularly, like the elevator chiming and moving between floors when nobody is there to push the button. No. Lights going on and off, that sort of thing. Lots of whispers of help me which shatters my heart, um, shadow figures, footsteps, both walking and running. Definitely feelings of being watched, followed, or a sense of uneasiness Uneasiness and intelligible knocks. Now I'm going to go into um, a couple different stories from Casey Ghost's paranormal team. This is from their website. They actually came and investigated the remaining hospital that is open and the museum. Now, part of the structure is owned by the Department of Corrections. So at the time when they came and did their investigation, they couldn't do, like, obviously the entire site because, hello, that's a jail right there. Right. Um, so what they did investigate, these are their stories, dun-dun-dun. Paranormal investigator Christina Anderson remembers looking for a restroom on the third floor during their investigation and captured an EVP as she found the bathroom saying, Go right in. <laughs> investigator I like that one. So, like so nice. Go right in. Go tinkle your little winkle, honey. Yeah. <laughs> investigator Becky Ray recalled other happenings on the third floor this is like the hot spot I would say third floor Um, and it was a game of intelligible knocks now the knocking began and they would ask it's kind of like a regular practice if you ghost hunt if you watch ghost hunting shows ghost adventures they do like one knock for yes, two knocks for no, whatever, that kind of thing. Um, And so they began this knocking game, and um, they would ask for responses, a certain number of knocks, and they would get replies, pretty much. So the team itself actually ended up following the knocks and, you know, seeing where they were originating from, and ended up... In front of a locked door. Oh. Now. After following the the knocks in this direction. They stood outside of the door. And listened carefully. Oh. to, To what sounded like a child. On the other side of the door. Talking. Now. When a museum staff member opened the door for the team. They discovered a vacant. And empty. Office room spooky yeah. spooky and they specifically said that up in where the museum is there wasn't as many um, experiences as they had expected they had gotten like disembodied voices a little bit footsteps here and there but nothing like they imagined you know especially like, going near some of those displays especially the originals I would have expected we're gonna get something, you know, but they didn't actually experience a lot of there, which I thought was interesting in the actual museum itself. Now, when they were in the tunnels, they they had the feeling of being watched, the uneasiness, all of that stuff. Um, And they thought that they were hearing a full-blown conversation, but when they followed the voices, it led them to like a like a plumbing situation where like water was trickling and it was kind of like trick of the water in the tunnel sounding like voices. Mm -hmm. Still a little sus in my opinion. And one of the investigators actually said, you know, it was still interesting, you know, same kind of thing though. Um, Shadow figures in the tunnels, footsteps, elevator moving, all of that stuff. Um, now this, like I said, this, um, this museum is open for ghost tours and yeah, you can find any sort of, sorry, my notes just reset themselves. Why did you do that? Um, if you'd like to read more about Casey paranormal ghost team. Um, Sorry, Casey Ghosts Paranormal Team. Their website is full of really good information. It's CaseyGhosts.com. They showcase actually all of the EVP evidence on their site, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Because it's not just like word of mouth kind of thing. They actually have like footage and they have specific EVPs enhanced, which I thought was really neat. So if you'd like to go and hear those, you can. So, yes, that is the State Lunatic Hospital number 2 and the Glore Museum. Which, by the way, we went to the Glore Museum when we were, like, 13, and it fucking scarred me. I was like, where are we? I didn't even realize it was, like, a psychiatric museum. I literally thought it was, like, a medieval torture place.
1: Yeah, I didn't like it. Yeah. I would never go back. I don't even think that um, I would want to do an investigation there. You know, like there's part of me when, when we talk about these locations, I get the like urge where I'm like, oh, that would be a really good investigation. Like, I bet we could catch some crazy shit. And then usually by the end of it, I'm like, no, I don't. I don't want to experience what they went through. I don't want to know. I just, like, it's horrible. Yeah, it makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah. Yeah. It and really I, does. I knew it. psychiatric museums, they always leave me feeling some type of way. And it just keeps me on edge. Like, yeah. I'm going to watch, like, Tinkerbell tonight before I go to bed. Like... Give me some. I
0: know.
1: Just because it's just so rough.
0: It's so rough and heavy and just, I mean, I don't mind watching like ghost adventures when they go to investigate like a psych hospital or something like that. But at the same time. Even then. (laughs) It creeps me out. And I'm like, the energy, the people who were there, it's just so heartbreaking and heavy it literally like makes me sick to my stomach yeah so doing my research for this was surprisingly difficult because I didn't anticipate that at all and yeah
1: no thanks I do have another option if you are planning on visiting the historic and um once beautiful and sometimes still beautiful st joseph missouri i have a prettier place that you could go visit you know past the glor museum don't look in the windows and let's take a dive into krug park so what we always knew as krug park apparently is properly pronounced krug park although I've never met anyone in St. Joe that has called it Krug Park. Yeah. Maybe I'm crazy or whatever, but it is a stunning park. So it was built in 1902, and the whole idea of it, um, the Krug Krug family, whatever they were, they donated a ton of land, a ton of money, because they wanted, like we said, it during this time, St. Joseph was like, A very prestigious kind of town and they wanted to keep that feel so they wanted to have it just like parkways all throughout the city and that was kind of the idea of the Krug family and they donated tons of land to it so in 1902 it was created after Henry Krug donated 20 acres of land um, that he donated in 1890 it officially opened in 1902. Um, it currently, I believe, has about 162 acres. Um, it's a large city park, obviously, with an Italian Renaissance structure, kind of like the feel around it. Yeah. Um, the park has extensive landscaping and flower beds. It also is home to some friendly f- animals. <laughs> I was going to say friendly furry friends. Yeah. Um, Yikes, and you know, including but not limited to fenced and buffalo. So random. This is literally just like a park that we went to regularly as children. Um, it also has multiple little water structures, like a big pond that you can fish in, um, a waterfall in the back, (laughs) and like
0: there's like brooks, babbling brooks. And little waterfalls that trickle into the pond slash mini lake. It's a very,
1: very pretty area. It's it 162 acres. I mean, it's a huge ass park. It is. Cobblestone. Yeah. So when you're thinking of Krug Park. Yuck. Like, you can really think of just like, wow. It's, <laughs> yeah. And at Christmas time, it's just like, they have this whole, this big, huge hill that's just filled with lights. And I'll tell you a funny story about that later, but just filled with beautiful Christmas lights. Actually, I'll tell you about that story right now. (laughs) When we lived in St. Joe, I was like 12 or 13 at the time. So Britt was, you know, 13, 14, 14, probably. And, um and our other friend Gabby at the time. Hi Gabby. Was what like 15? 14 or uh she was about to be 15, I think. Yeah, cuz so... it was it was New Year's Day. Okay, it, let me let me Okay, sorry. Okay. Let me tell the story from my point of view and you don't get a chance to change. It. <laughs> so, we got this crazy idea out of nowhere really that we wanted to go on a hike in Krug Park on New Year's. You know, why not? It's a great freaking plan, right? Um, the Christmas lights are still up. Gabby was so persistent that she wanted to show us the waterfall and she knows exactly how to get there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly how to, this is a very important part of the story. We're children. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking children at this time. And our older like My best friend, friend forever, knows exactly where this waterfall is, and we've got to see it. So we're like, hell yeah, we're going to go see it. We throw some snacks in a backpack.
0: No, we threw a bag of munchies, like the munchies snack bag. That was all that we
1: had. Yeah, we were super well prepared. And we (laughs) headed out on our trek that we thought was going to take You know, no time at all. What? Eight hours later? I don't. That might be a little much, but I think it is because we were lost when we got found. Yeah, okay. When we got found, (laughs) there were there were uh, a search team. No. Yeah. No. The funny thing is, is none of that happened. And when we finally got out, it was like no one even knew we were really missing. Yeah. Our other friend Blair was like, where have you guys been? But it wasn't like there was nothing pressing. Whatever. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. That's not what we're here to talk about. (laughs) Where were our parents? (laughs) Yeah. Did they know where we were? We're not going to talk about that right now. So (laughs) the crazy thing is, is once you get to this spot in Krug Park, it's almost like a fork in the road. It's like you can go here or you can go here. Which way are you going to go? We get to that point, and we kind of look, and Gabby's like, "It's this way for sure, 100%. It's this way," and we're like, "Okay, you know, let's go." So we head out that way. <laughs> Fun fact: spoiler, spoiler alert! It was not that way. So we start on this trail, and eventually we end up going off trail. Because we got so completely fucking lost. And we're just lost for hours. Yeah, it was...
0: We got there in the morning and we were lost until almost, like, nightfall.
1: Yeah. Um, We came across a couple different sets of people walking. I specifically remember one, like, male that was walking. And we were like, "Yeah, you know, like, keep walking. And then we run up on the Buffalo... And we're like, where the fuck are we? You know, we we go all the way around, probably walked the entire 162 acres. I mean, (laughs) we could for sure. sure. So we end up all this crazy stuff's happening. We're like, I can't believe we're fucking really lost right now. Because it took a minute for us to like, like admit that we were lost too. I don't know if you remember that. We're like, no, it's just, we just, we're going to keep going. We're going to find I was the one saying, we're lost. We're lost. We have no food. Yeah. But um, we ended up finding the waterfall eventually. It was um, pretty cool, but also not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> it was worth it for the story. Yeah. And then, yeah. hey, let's go. Let's get out of here. Let's try to find our way out. We found the waterfall. How cool. So we're like heading out crazily enough as like right on the outside of the waterfall is the fork in the road. Oh my gosh. We get there and I'm like, this is the fork in the road from the, from this morning. And I was like, the waterfall's right there on the other side. And we went that way for eight hours and we're like laughing. We're like, this is freaking insane. We could have delirious. Gone. Yeah, exactly. We're, like, dehydrated. We're dying. So we're at the top of the hill, and it's just crazy to see. Not to mention, it is a massive hill. Yes.
0: Massive hill, like, incline for days, this hill.
1: And because it's New Year's, it's still covered in Christmas stuff, okay? So all the Christmas lights, all the decorations are still up on this hill. So we're And at- all the wires. Yeah, we're at the top of the hill, and Blair... Is at the bottom of the hill with her grandma and their grandfather. Was it the grandfather? I thought it was the grandma with an adult. (laughs) So we're like, Blair! And she's like, Britt, gay, like there you are. And so we're running down this massive steep ass hill, right? In the
0: woods where (laughs) there's Christmas
1: lights and wires. I'm there. I'm there. Shush. We are running full speed down this hill. And again, there's lights everywhere. <laughs> <Brittany>. <laughs> Trips and cartwheels down the
0: hill. I literally did a flip, a front flip. I've never done a flip in my life. It
1: was <sighs> tripping on one of the Christmas lights cords and flipping down the hill. And it was probably the funniest thing that the three of us have ever encountered. And then Blair's like, what the fuck? Happening, and then we get down there and we're like, we've been lost for hours. And they're like, oh, get in the car, let's leave. And we're like, "Yeah, this is fucking insane. So Krug Park, wild time, you can get lost there. It's fucking crazy. It is, it's crazy. But it's beautiful, um, honestly. Dense forest. Yeah. So what's very interesting, I think, about Krog Park is that we spent a ton of time there as children. Um, well, throughout our childhood. And we've been lost there. And I've never really had, like, a, a, like, sickly feeling there. Like, it's always been, there's always been a vibe. But I've never felt like... Like sickly terrified, right? I I did when we were lost for sure. Well, of course when we were lost, it was scary, but I wasn't like there was at one point when we
0: were so far off the path that we were hearing gunshots. And I was like, Holy shit, we're like near some country folk property.
1: Backwoods family. Yes,
0: uh.
1: Um Yeah, but to me, that's like, that was just more like the circumstance and not (laughs) the park itself. So, to get into why I want to talk about Krug Park is, although Brittany has had eerie feelings. And yeah, when we were were lost, lost. yeah, didn't know if we were going to die. That was a little creepy. And we ran across some weird shit and that was creepy. But I decided to go back. Um, we went and visited St. Joe last summer, you know, end of last summer. Last fall. No, it was, it was August. Okay. Yeah. But whatever. So last year we went and visited and, um, I was like, oh, I want to take my kids to Krug Park. And as soon as I pull up and this was already, we've talked about this trip. This is a few, (laughs) quite a few episodes back. Um, It was a weird-ass trip regardless, but getting to Krug Park, the feeling was, like, so uneasy, like, unnerving. Just, like, I don't want to fucking be here. Like, every single person I'm looking at, I'm like, this is a sketchy-ass motherfucker. And, like, do I look like the most judgmental bitch ever? Like, I grew up in this town. I'm just, like, the vibe was not it. Okay. That's as, that's as much as I can really explain it. And I'll get into why. And a but I want to start with taking you back down memory lane to oh, 1915. Wow. Yes. So, well, technically 1912, but I am reading a document from 1915. Of According- okay a murder trial murder so this is the case of Madeline Robotham and her murderer Thomas Harris okay so here's where we're at 1912 Um, And this is like the actual court document, the Supreme Court of Missouri, division number two of May 25th, 1915. So I am going to say the language is a little, a little different than our modern language. So bear with me Um, (laughs) because it's like, uh, okay, that's a little funky phrasing, but yeah, bear with me. Um, Let's go here. Defendant charged by information in the criminal court of Buchanan County with murder in the first degree. For that, as it was alleged, he had killed one, Madeline Robotham, um, was convicted, and his punishment fixed at life imprisonment in the penitentiary. Penitentiary? (laughs) Penitentiary. Um. From this conviction, after the usual motion for a new trial, he has appealed. All right, this is where we're at right now. He appealed his charges. The immediate facts of the homicide are as follows Deceased was a young girl, some 20 years of age, in January or February of 1912. Like, first of all, like, you couldn't even give a fuck about how old she actually was and when it actually happened. Like, Right. On a, a fucking legal document. Court yeah. Document. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, okay. So in January or February of 1912, she met the defendant who was employed as a conductor by the Street Railway, railway Company in St. Joseph. Another big thing that St. Joseph had going for it back in these times um, was the railroad. Huge. Huge employment with the railroad. Okay, there's a railroad museum. <laughs> yeah, there is. And I railway railroad. I like, ra My tongue. Yeah, it's a lot. So, like I said, bear with me. Um. So she meets him. Okay, and from that time till her death, she and the defendant had been much in each other's companies. On the day of the homicide. Sunday there's no like uh (laughs) there's no like period it's just commas everywhere but they were much into each other's company okay on the day of the homicide July 13th 1913 or 1912 who fucking knows several young people of about the deceased's age arranged to go to krug park a public park near saint joseph to spend the afternoon The party consisted of deceased and Robert Melby, who were together, a young girl named DeWyatt, and one Cecil Logan. They went to the park about four o'clock, and during the day, the defendant had talked several times with Mrs. Robotham, the mother of the deceased, over the telephone, inquiring for the latter. He called The last time between 5-ish, 5.30 p.m., at which time the deceased mother said the following conversation took place. He asked if Madeline was there, and I told him no. Then he said, does Madeline care anything for me? And I said, Mr. Harris, I can't tell you that. I can't answer that question. Then he asked me where she had gone, and I told him that she had gone out with some friends, and he said, oh, she's gone out to Krug Park. And I said, no, she hasn't. And he said, yes, she has gone to Krug Park. And I said, well, if you know and think, well, if you know. And then, it's so weirdly written. He said he would likely call her up at 8 o'clock. But I don't think she will be there. That's what he said. Sorry. It says, and then, but it's spelled thin, T-H-I-N. Weird. Yeah. So, she says, well, if you know she's at Krog Park, like, the the fuck are you calling me for? And he's like, well, I'll likely call her up at 8 o'clock, but I don't think she will be there. Weird. On okay? the day that she was murdered? Yep. Oh. As the party of which deceased was a member, we're leaving the park about 6 o'clock um, by the east entrance and there's like two stone columns standing up on either side of the driveway. They wa- they were stopped by the defendant who uh, I really want to read this like right for you guys. Okay. They were stopped by the defendant who was grabbed who grabbed for the deceased saying that she had an engagement with him. She denied this and pleaded with him to go away. Thereupon young Melby who had never seen the defendant before undertook to remonstrate with him. The defendant struck him on the brim of his hat, throwing his Kodak out of his hand and nearly knocking him down. Defendant and Melby then went aside and defendant talked to Melby in a very nice way. Those were in quotes and asked to speak with the deceased. The latter, Ela, the latter Ela, the meantime whatever the deceased joined Cecil and Dwight that were a few feet away and was talking to them very excitedly and wringing her hands saying I have I've told him to leave me alone I have told him not to come out to the house and he comes out when I don't know he's coming and he said I could not leave this park alive tonight what will I do what the fuck yeah Mel and her B- friends, What what did they do? Well, hang on. I'm sorry. This. Sorry. <laughs> Melby, at the defendant's request, went to the deceased and encouraged her to come to the place near the columns where the defendant was standing. Melby going back and joining the others. So he basically was like, "Go, come over here, talk to him, figure it the fuck out. I'll go stand over here while you're doing that. Okay." This is what happens at this point. Defendant and deceased standing some 23 feet away from the rest of them, and they were partly behind the stone columns. Um, They stood over there and they talked for about eight or ten minutes. The next thing that the witnesses saw was the deceased coming towards them with her throat cut and her hand at her neck. All the witnesses saw or heard was the spurting of the blood The deceased ran toward Melby and the others, who gave back as she approached. She had proceeded some 30 feet when she fell to the ground and expired almost instantly. Oh, my God. Her head had almost been cut off, and her light dress was red with blood from top to bottom. Defendant was seen standing on the curbstone by the driveway, wet with blood. He was apparently unconcerned and showed no remorse. After cutting, the deceased, after cutting the deceased, the defendant then tried to cut his own throat with the razor. And when this was taken away from him, he took out his pocket knife and tried to cut his own throat with that. He gave one of the bystanders the telephone number of the girl's mother and asked him to tell the mother what had happened. After trying to cut his throat with his knife, he tried unsuccessfully to tear the veins and cords from his neck with his fingers. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The defendant was treated for his wounds in the hospital and... <coughs> excuse me. And while under the supervision of the guard, was quoted to say the testimony of one who had been charged as the guard. What the fuck? And who was witnessing the case? That the defendant, okay, here we go. (laughs) This is such a butchered part because it's, I swear to God, it's so fucking difficult to read. Um, Under the supervision of the guard, the defendant is quoted to have said that he was, he had killed the girl and he was glad of it. That he had arranged to kill her a Sunday or two before when they went to the lake and went out on a boat, but that she begged him out of it and that he killed her to keep any other son-of-a-bitch from getting her. Jesus. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Touching the circumstances occurring at the immediate moment of the killing, the defendant, on his part, offered no countervailing proof. His defense was that of insanity. And upon the issue of his alleged um, want of mental responsibility uh much evidence both lay were shown to the jury and obviously they realized you're not fucking insane you had this all planned this is not some insanity quick question Was he um was he being held at the
0: state lunatic hospital number two honestly it doesn't say
1: in this document well, they said penitentiary it, he was he was held um all it said say penitentiary penitentiary i can't even fucking say it does um, that mean state
0: hospital or state jail or prison it'd
1: be the prison oh, okay okay but it could it that could have been where he was i'll try to look that up and like pop it in here um But, so obviously they didn't take his plea for insanity. And um, he went to jail and he was paroled in 1942 and died in St. Joseph in 1954.
0: He was paroled Mm -hmm. after how many years in jail? 30.
1: Okay. Yeah, he spent 30 years in jail he got out on parole, and then he died in 1954. He died 12 years later. How old was he? 60s, mid-60s, 70s. I'm sorry. How old was he when he
0: killed her? Mm, mm, mm,
1: I have that written down. I just Were know. they in their 20s, too? He- um, so, yeah, she was 19. I think he was, like, 20. 21. Oh, my God. Yeah. If I can't have her, no one can. Yeah. No son of a bitch. No other son of a bitch can touch her. What the fuck? So, that in itself is like, ooh, that's some spooky shit to happen in a park we went to all the time as children. Wow. Yeah. buckle up for safety, strap it on in, and I'm going to take you guys not that long ago, to October of 2016. And that would be the murder of Caitlin Root, who was 17, just almost 18. Caitlin Root, 17, was found naked, strangled, and stabbed in a remote area of the Krug Park trails on October 16, 2016. Sebastian Dowell and his partner in crime, Amanda Bennett, were charged with second degree murder. Now, before you have a freak out, once you listen to this whole story, I will explain why that they got second degree murder instead of first degree murder. Okay? So drop yeah. it. This is a fucking god-awful story. Okay. Okay. So the murder, uh, Amanda and Sebastian were two pieces of shits. We're just gonna say it as it is. Were they still are fucking of shit stupid ass little teenage they decided it's so frustrating because the stories all are conflicting because their stories were conflicting okay sebastian you know had stated that he was responsible for killing caitlin okay amanda and and that they just kind of wanted to kill someone whatever no big deal Amanda is convinced that this was part of a satanic ritual, and they had a plan to kill two people a year over a five-year span, or some fucking crazy shit like that, okay? So they were looking for two people to murder, in this instance. They sent out five Facebook messages to random, quote, depressed people from their school, and waited for someone to respond. The only one that responded that night was Caitlin Root. Oh my God. Yeah. The message itself said, um, she said, I got on Facebook and messaged a couple of depressed people. and it said, um, the message itself was like, hey, you want to hang out? And she said, yeah. So what they did that night was they met up. They went to a like liquor store, convenience store. They took some pictures, they were having fun, they went to Krug Park, and then the murder took place. (sighs) So, the police found Caitlin's phone in pieces, spread all throughout the trail. They found the first half of it closer to her body, and then they extended the search out to cut canvas like as much of the trails as they could until they found the rest of it. They were able to get the memory off of her phone and that's what they were able to find the pictures from just before she was murdered with the two murderers. And then they were able to see the Facebook messages as well. Um, the biggest thing about this one is that these murderers, they didn't care who it was that they were gonna kill that night. It didn't matter who responded. They killed yeah. someone, they didn't give a shit. There was no motive behind picking her. And that's what made the investigators, the prosecutors that much more disgusted because it was so senseless. It's and it's not justifying, you know, motivated murder by any means. Right. But there's a different level of it when you're just like. I didn't have any, I just need a body. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so again, like I said, one claimed that it was for ritualistic purposes, but it was not. And neither of them could get their stories together. They couldn't decide who was the satanic worshiper, whose idea it was. Um, their stories conflicted the entire time, which made the investigation a lot more difficult to deal with. um, But they did agree on certain things, and that is who actually uh, took out the act and killed her. So, they get to a part in the woods, and they decide that this is where it's going to take place. Sebastian tells Amanda, it has to happen now. So, Amanda picks up like a piece of wood. And again, these are in the middle of the woods. So it was probably like a tree branch and hits Caitlin over the head with it. Okay. And then they strangle her. They rip off her clothes and they stab her repeatedly. They cut her throat, which is just like how Madeline died, you know, just a little over a hundred years prior in the same park. And, um, and they left her there naked, strangled and stabbed and her throat cut. <sighs> um, what I did read was that Sebastian, you know, was like told Amanda it had to happen now, but Amanda confessed to taking a stick and hitting Caitlin over the head. And she said that Dowel Sebastian ended up knocking the teen to the ground, hitting her, choking her until she died. Um, Bennett, okay, so Amanda and Sebastian took a syringe and shot something into Caitlyn's neck. And then the teen, Caitlyn, seemed to pass out at that point. Oh, my God. Yeah. Then Amanda and Sebastian told her in order for the murder to be a pure sacrifice, she had to stab Root. So Sebastian's like, sorry, you have to be the one to stab her. That's how we make it. A satanic ritual or whatever. Okay, but, Charlie Manson. Yeah, but Bennett couldn't do it. She kept saying she just didn't have it in her to actually do it, so Sebastian stabbed her in the chest. Yeah. Um, Amanda said that Sebastian said that Caitlin's clothes had to come off as all part of the ritual. All part of the ritualistic thing. And after they stripped her naked, they were picking up all of their items. When Amanda looked over to see where Caitlin's body was to find her standing up. Yeah. Sebastian, I mean, Amanda probably screamed. And Sebastian proceeded to stab Caitlin again multiple times. And that is when Sebastian told Amanda that she had to have her throat slit. Amanda then said, I can't do it. So then Sebastian slit her throat. And that is the disturbing murder of Caitlin Root. Now, the she was found pretty quickly after, and in such a disgusting scene, obviously with the age of Caitlin, like in 17, just about to turn 18. um, The investigation was pretty hot, you know? And again, once they got the memory off of the phone, they were able to pinpoint who did it pretty quickly and barely pushing them at all. They were able to find out that, yes, they were involved in the murder, but how it kind of played out took a little bit. Once it came to court, there was very little remorse shown in the courtroom from what I heard. Um, Caitlin's mother from the, the, uh, articles that I read and her quotes is a woman of just pure grace. I mean, to have that kind of a situation happen to you, she's just, I, I can't, my heart is just broken for her. Um, yeah. both of the murderers got charged with second degree murder and The reason for that is that they were still under the age of 18. So the prosecutor was worried that if they were charged with first degree murder, then they would have a higher chance of getting paroled earlier in life. I don't understand how that part of the legal system works once it hits like a judge and a jury and all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, Okay, fine, whatever. Um, But... I do think that they will be eligible for parole in 30 years. Well, 30 years from 2016. The mother has stated that she will make sure that she is at every single parole hearing that they have. And she wants to be very included. She's been at every single court case that um, that happened with both of the the murder trials. And mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely horrific. What blows my mind the most, though, is that two young women had their life stolen from them for no fucking reason in this park and were murdered the same way. Now, from my understanding of the Caitlin Roots murder, I they didn't intentionally go back through history and want to repeat a murder that happened in Krug Park. They, they kept saying, oh, you know, satanic ritual. Oh, I just wanted to kill someone. Oh, blah, 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 blah whatever. So I don't know if they actually read the article of how Madeline was murdered and they wanted to reenact it in some way or yeah. not, but it is very eerie that both young women had to be cut at their throat to die in Croke Park. It's just like, it's just icky. But um, when we went last summer, I got the ickiest feeling. And I'm like, oh, but I really want to show the kids the buffalo, and I really want to show the kids the trail, and it's not going to take that long. And then we start walking, and I'm, like, getting overwhelmed with this, like, yucky feeling. And I'm like, dude, I want to go. Like, I'm over this. I don't want to do this anymore. Like, let's turn around and leave. And um, then these three stray dogs run up on us, and they're filthy. I mean, like, look like they just came out of the pond or something. And they come running up on us and I've got my kids there and we're like, hey, what the fuck are these dogs and where did they come from and who are their owners? And you could tell that they were, um, they're like hunting dogs, right? And which is not uncommon in Missouri or even Texas, where I live now, um, to have your hunting dogs out and about. Um, but there was like, it was just. <laughs> and I think we all kind of felt like who the fuck's like sent these dogs over to us you know what I mean like is, yeah. someone, is this someone tracking us like what the fuck's going on so we're like get out of here like shoo go away and um, they wouldn't they were just kind of like hovering so we ended up getting off the trail and crossing through to the other side of the trail and so we're like getting deeper into the, the park and that wasn't necessarily something that I wanted to do, but it just ended up happening that way. Um, we did hear some gunshots. There's a range, like, two or three miles away from the park, so... Eh, but overall, it was, like, with the vibe that was going on at that time and everything, it was just, like, a freaky situation. Um, and then we're talking about, like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe, like, that that young girl was murdered here just a few years ago and how... Like, insane that is to think that we spent so much time here as children um, and that this kind of situation would happen and it's so horrible and thank goodness we, we're not running up on the scene or anything. Well, um, just after that, we end up, you know, cutting through the trails, trying to get back to our original trail so we can get back to the car and we kind of just run up on on her memorial site where she was murdered oh god and it was like just an eeky, scary feeling um and just really sad and heartbreaking mm-hmm. yeah it, it, was it had fun. her whole entire both women had their lives in front of them yeah fucking disgusting and caitlin's mom has said like um you know it was so like caitlin like her daughter to just bond and she just was someone who was nice to everyone and loved everyone and of course if she was asked like oh do you want to hang out of course she was going to and it's just so so heartbreaking and what the mom must feel you know knowing that she lost her daughter and i just it's so horrible and the other mom too Yeah. Call. Like, and who knows how many phone calls he was calling her at that time and just kind of bombarding her with God. Sick, man. Sick.
0: Like, no means no. And also, do
1: not hurt somebody else, kill somebody else. That's just. It's so yuck. So, overall, St. Joseph has. It is a very historical town. There is so much history. And again, that's why it's going to take us multiple parts, but at least two parts talk about some of the more twisted sides of St. Joseph. Um, This is any, (laughs) gives you guys any idea as to why we are the way that we are, because we were raised um, for the majority of our childhood in a town that has such a funky history, not Mm -hmm. only excitingly cool, rich, inventive, creative history, but also a very dark, twisted, seedy, yucky history and present time. Um, But again, it is all pretty amazing and unbelievable that this town is still around. (laughs) I know.
0: We really would love to hear your stories of your hometown. We want to know where y'all are coming from. Do you have any crazy, like, spooky stories?
1: Or just anything you want to share, we would love to hear from you guys. Yes, definitely send us a message on TikTok or Instagram at underscore the Twisted Twins. If you're not watching this on YouTube, check out our YouTube, the Twisted Twins podcast. If you are watching this on YouTube, hello, good to see and- you. Thank you for sticking around. I hope you are as traumatized as we are after this
0: episode. I know, cleanse yourself of this. Yes. History should be told. You know? hmm History should be told. And um, ugh. even though it's heavy, even though it's draining and it's it's all of that, it also is a little is fascinating and heart-wrenching and there's, it's, I don't know. I think it's important to tell these stories. Yeah, I agree. Alrighty guys. So we hope that you're having a better uh Mercury retrograde than we are experiencing. And mm-hmm. we hope that it gets on the up and up for us and for you guys too. Mm-hmm. And other than that, we hope that you guys take care and stay twisted. <laughs> Bye.